We're back for the RevOps show. And today we're talking about positive friction and negative friction. Hold on. I learned here, we got like somebody new here and I understand we tested our first two episodes and it came back that a referee was needed. They said that no one could understand us or something, which I thought that was the point. I thought that's what podcasts are for. Right. Our own therapies, our own therapies. So I guess in the spirit of uh, the inbound outbound debate with where Remington, you may recall the uh, the amazing job that you did as moderator. Thank you. Definitely goat. So apparently we voted and we, uh, we picked a moderator. So I am excited to be able to introduce the, uh, the third member of the show, who yeah. is also our director of operations, Jess. Jess, why don't you say hello to everybody? Hey guys, I'm Jess Cardenas. Excited well, to be here. A little bit scared about having to play referee between you guys. I wore my bright shirt for you, Remington. Yes! Yes. And for those of you that are wondering what the heck she's talking about, she she's making fun of my pink shirt um, that I wore because color was the only thing that I could do to separate the George B. Thomas versus Doug Davidoff. Uh, after no the, remember, you were wearing your, you were giving away your bias, your bias with, with, <laughs> with, with your t-shirt about inbound. I was creating on friction. I was creating healthy but, friction. But the only thing I wanted to know, I needed to ask you this is yeah. like you said, okay, hey, I'm going to change my shirt. And six seconds later, you were back in this. Do you just have those shirts hanging around? Is that if you were to move your camera, will we see so a whole set of? They're being rotated right now, so they're being cleaned. But yes, I have I have right outside about this far away. And I'm just outside of the screen for those in audio. I have two or three different types of shirts for when I'm rapidly doing videos. I can jump into one shirt. I can say a couple things, oh, jump into another shirt. And it feels like Are it's a different these shirts day. that don't have a back? <laughs> That's actually a really great idea. I didn't even think about that. So I know one of my son's friends is a is in, went into TV news. Uh-huh. They're down in Texas. They're down like Corpus Christi. So Jess, you know what it's like in Corpus Christi. And you know, and this was all pre-Zoom where we now realize, hey, you know what? We can wear shorts and whatever we want. No one knows. So they, they were talking about the fact that what they wear is they have shorts. They're wearing a t-shirt. And then they have the they have the suit shirt, if you will, sewn into the jacket in in a way. So they put the jacket. So like they come in from behind. It's all sewn in. So the, the, they put the jacket in, and it's totally open. Basically, it's like totally open in the back, and they just pin it. And that way, they put it on and take it off. That they're not actually. I think that happens. Uh, very like quickly. a hospital gown. Yeah, yeah. So you're of that belief that you don't want to be wearing the same thing in every video. No, it's not. It's more so of, it's more being able to jump into business more uncasual than business casual sometimes, but I trend yeah. to a t-shirt and what have you. See, I'm authentic, man. But business, I needed something loud to separate you guys because that was going to be extra. Holy cow, yes. So, so I did it. It was good though. It was good. I really enjoyed that. So now we have Jess who gets to do it to us. I don't think it's going to be quite as colorful. It could be. So we'll see how this goes. Let's debate here. So let's talk about friction. Yeah. So you have a whole bunch of blogs that you talk about positive versus negative friction. And I think that's pretty cool. And then I'm reading a book about Dare to Lead with Brene Brown. And she talks about healthy friction, which I thought was pretty interesting because she's talking about it from a human and a management standpoint. But I think it ties a lot into the operational side of things too. So I just thought it would be really cool to combine the human element as well as just the general friction conversation because I think it's one that gets people confused. 
Yeah, I think that we're going to violate all the rules of, of good broadcasting because I think we agree on this. So it's, it, we're going to have to, this might well, be- we might partially episode. agree on this. So let's see Ooh, what you got. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's interesting because I know I, I, I started talking about good friction because everyone started talking about friction all the time as friction bad, friction bad, eliminate friction. And we're certainly seeing it. There's, a, there's an old, it goes back to before we talked about technology- which was the highest ROI thing you could do from a sales perspective is just make it easier for people to buy, Yeah, which is an aspect of friction or, 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 or friction removal. What I'm, I, I actually don't like the term good friction, bad friction, mm-hmm. because I think it puts a judgment on friction. I think friction is a thing like, and where friction comes in and, and, and where it, where at least I really started talking about it regularly is this whole idea of increasing force, which tends to be the focus, tends to be what, I mean. It's a natural state. Yeah, and it's, it's the human, the human desire is you do something, you get a stimulus, it's stimulus response. Mm-hmm. We, we forget that sometimes nothing is actually a response, but you know, that's not a, that's not typically the natural response that somebody gets is, oh, okay, I saw that I'm going to do nothing. So we we tend to apply force, and I'm sure we'll talk about force in a number of ways. The other side of force is reduce friction. But I think what we have to, friction is a thing. It's neither good nor bad. It's a question of, for lack of a better word, how is it utilized? Which I think is something that most people don't think about. Like, how often does someone think about, how do I want to utilize friction? Yep. So I I read the book, Dare to Lead. How was Brene talking? How was our friend Brene? Brene talks about, she, it's in the section in which she talks about vulnerability, right? And that when you're vulnerable, you're inviting this healthy friction into a conversation that actually allows for growth and you to expand your mind, but like also think outside of your binary lens. It's right or wrong or, or that kind of thing. And it, it fit a lot into some of the conversations we've had about RevOps and that we're having internally on the impulse creative side is we're just running, we're life isn't binary decisions aren't binary you talk about a lot with trade-offs and it's inviting in these other areas and with how Brene brought it up I thought it was really cool because she's talking about it from a leadership standpoint and like being vulnerable in there that being this healthy friction that allows for there to be some innovation and I think it's the same kind of concept when we start thinking about RevOps is there's this opportunity for you to think about big picture be able to be down here working on some other areas and then also realizing that friction can create innovation too. I wouldn't say that friction can create innovation. I would say there is no innovation without friction. There you go. And that folks is the end of the show. Thank you very much. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Don't go away. There's two words that I think get lost there is friction and innovation. Sure. So we tend to think of innovation as this big thing. Innovate. I'm going to, I'm going to innovate. The reality is I think most innovation is iterative and then you have big spends, but I'm talking about human friction. Here's a low friction experience, ready? You let your kids do whatever they want. Give them (laughs) no constraints, give them no wall. There's no friction. We all know you're not going to have a functional child if you do that. We, all the research shows that the children need constraints. They need boundaries. They need structure. All constraints, boundary and structures are, are friction, right? Yep. If, Humans don't like to think. Mm -hmm. We do all kinds of things to prevent us from thinking. It's fascinating when you get into the brain science of of what thinking really entails. 
it took 17 minutes for brain science to come up. Hey, you brought up friction, my friend. Uh, <laughs> um, probably less than that on the actual podcast. We're probably, I think um, we're probably seven minutes in. <laughs> we're probably, yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, but when you look at the brain science of thinking, if they, they hook people up to brain MRIs, other machines, et cetera, and, and the biochemical response, the, the eyes, the sweat response, the brain centers that light up, et cetera, there's no difference between the brain chemistry of someone who's actively thinking and somebody who is in the middle of a high intensity weight resistance workout. So thinking about the answer to that question takes as much energy as lifting max weight. And so we do all kinds of things to prevent ourselves from having to do that. Uh-huh. And you know what friction is, so think of it this way, and I'm actually working on, we're, I'm finishing our post. I don't know what to call these things anymore. Article. It feels like more than just a bar, like a post. An thesis. article makes me feel like I'm old because I used to write articles. So. Thesis? My doctoral. There you go. Yeah. I, some people read my blogs and they think that's what they are. My, I think we have one blog. Actually, we've got our sales enterprise. I think we're going to be, I think we're going to be crossing like 6,000 words on our sales enterprise review. It's a thesis. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's, let me tell you what, if, if I had only made my AP European history final paper, if I had only made that 6,000 words, I might've gotten a better grade. Right. Wow. I remember saying those words. Oh, there you go. There you go. So, so, so yeah. Oh, I remember your... what I was going to say. Yeah. I remember. What I... So, so force is a promotional factor, mm-hmm. right? So an ad is a promotion. Um, yep. Putting something on the, remember to wash your hands. Mm-hmm. Promotion. Off into your elbow. Frick, friction is an inhibiting force. Okay. That's all it is. Right now. Part of our problem is we all tend to think, we all tend to go to the promotion playbook. And, and that's where we try to engineer. What's interesting is that in the inhibiting factors probably have about a 10x weighting over the promoting factors. So it takes an awful lot of promoting to overcome an inhibition. The whole idea, make it easier to buy, that's mm-hmm. reduce the friction, reduce the things that prevent people from buying. But there's a, there's another way to use friction, which is when I want you to think, mm-hmm. when I want you to slow down, how introduce for, so, so we introduce friction in very important parts of our sales process because we need you to slow down. We need you to think, we need you to understand. As a matter of fact, I, I did a presentation for a company for one of our clients yesterday on succeeding with target accounts and the feedback I got afterwards you know, was, was good, but one point that got brought up was you and I are alike, my, this is what my client said, because we both really like to talk about the why and, and that, but I think that we did too much there because the guys, they, the last 15 minutes was really where they were interested in. And, and my response to them, no, we were talking to managers, right? This was the sales management team. This wasn't the sales rep team. And I said, look, he, here's the thing. They probably didn't want to talk about the why. That probably right. wasn't what interested them. But, but if they don't understand the why, if we don't introduce that friction there, yep. then they're not going to have the context for managing and understanding and, and all the things that happen when it comes into execution. And that's when it's going to become a Keystone Cops um, type experience. So looking at friction as a way to slow things down, and I'll tell you, I coined this term probably about a decade ago, the best way to speed up, the best way to shorten the sales cycle is to slow down the sales process. 
And I, I, I think the problem is that people, the application of friction mm -hmm. is, I think friction happens accidentally. And that's where friction is bad. Sure. Where, where it is most frequently bad. And, and it comes in there. But I can tell you from a behavioral science perspective, we don't go to the manage the inhibiting criteria playbook anywhere as frequently as we could and should. What, what's the best way to make some, to make the path you want someone to go on the path of least resistance, increase the resistance on for other paths. And, and I think that's how you have to look at it. So my question is, you talked a lot about the sales process and where negative friction comes into play there. Are there other pieces of rev up where that would apply? Cause, cause I think the sales process is the easiest place to think about it and, and put it in there. We talk about slowing down the sales process all the time. Where else in rev ops would that come into play? So from uh, sales to service handoff, we've got a couple clients we're helping them with right now where the friction is, is absolutely negative friction in this case, because the handoff from sales to marketing, whether if you're imagining like the platter being passed is mixed and what's happening is service is re-asking a lot of the same questions without context. That's the, at the easiest level, but then, but there's also this friction point of that's connected to the emotional side that we've found with this company of, I just, I was just promised the world. I closed the deal. I signed the contract. And then I, I don't hear from people. I start wondering and that buyer's remorse kicks in. And then when I actually start to have a conversation with the service person, it is, I'm in a really bad mood because like, I was way here. I thought this was going to be great. And having you had the first words of the rep and now I'm down here. That to me is a point of negative friction. That's almost invisible until you start paying attention to the bigger picture between things and an area where it can be solved relatively easily. Now you're, you're going to have some friction there, but you, there's areas that you can address that with the right follow-ups, the right systems, the right processes between that. I think that's an example of just, that's just one segment of that customer journey that I think is usually the one that people flop on. They celebrate the win and they don't actually celebrate delivering or starting the execution of that next step. So, so I'm going to violate Jess's question here because we had a client and then I'm going to, then I'm going to go to it, but to, we had a client se several years ago that, that had that problem. And it wasn't necessarily the promise of this huge overpromise, but it was this promise of the salesperson did what they had to do. They got the sale. There was a lot of excitement, got handed off. And the amount of time that it took to get all of the information that was needed so that the service team could actually service was insane. It not only was, became a frustrating experience to, for the client, for the customer, and actually, I think they had about a 25% fall off, right? So one business that never got to launch. For every four. It, it died in onboarding. And the average time to launch, I think it was taking them like, they had targeted for 60 to 90 days and it was taking them six months, I think on average. Yeah. And so what, by the way, what that means, not, you know, not only is the customer unhappy, that's months of lost revenue that you're never going to get back. Also, you lose that excitement. This was changing who companies were buying from. You had the senior team, they signed the contract, they're ready to go. That's when the highest level of support to, to roll out and ramp up to begin changing the, the behavior of, of who people at each location were buying from. So what we did here was we said, okay, wait a second, let's introduce friction into the sales process. 
into the actual sales process. Frankly, these are things that we should know to be able to make a full proposition and we can better, you know, quantify what the impact will be. And mm-hmm. so we introduced requirements yep. that, that you couldn't get from one stage to the next stage until, until you knew these things. And now one of the things that did was it started getting onboarding, became aware of this information 30 to 45 days before close. Onboarding was able to look at it and say, wait a second, this is a, we're, we're going to need to know this, which oftentimes the salesperson can get that because they're already in communication and, right. and it's just picking up. Yeah. Or we know, hey, this is a real quick thing. And, and again, the net of that was we, we, got, we got onboarding down to that 60 to 90 days, including some of them getting launched in like 45 days. So yep. what we did was we moved the friction into the process. Didn't feel like friction because it was part of the plan. It, it, it worked through that and, and so forth. So that's Same right. info. Yeah. Now, now, some of what I was talking about, Jess, when I talk about the sales process, and maybe I need to, you know, I'm going to say there's the capital S sales process and the small S sales process. So the small S sales process is what I think most people think of as the sales process. That's the selling process salesperson talking to, to customer. But the reality is the sales process starts the, the, the second you do anything to try to get somebody to visit your website, sure. right? So what's the experience on the website? And there's places where you want to introduce friction on the website. I actually, there was this really interesting, um, study that was done on, on UX that I had just listened to last week, where they talked about the fact that the UX, they want to eliminate friction. What's a measurement of friction? One measurement of friction is number of clicks involved in being able to complete something. And so they, they got this way where you got into the form much faster. And, and this was like replacing a lost passport type thing. Yep. Okay. So when I say form, I don't mean form to get a conversion for a lead. A form is the, is a part of, yep. you know, a core part of what the customer... Well, so all this, so you get into the form, you're halfway in and it starts asking you for questions. It starts asking you questions that you wouldn't expect to know that you needed to have. There was also like, apparently if the, if the passport were lost, it had one method. If it was stolen, lost, it had another method. They thought, of course, if it's stolen, people will go stolen. If it's lost, people will go lost. But the person who had their passport stolen, when they started actually doing watching users, they found that the person whose passport was stolen went to the lost passport. And they asked, why'd you go to the lost passport? Because I lost my passport. But wasn't it stolen? And their response, I love this, was they said, that's why I lost it. (laughs) Okay. So what they did was they're like, okay, letting people understand. So, So they actually added friction to the beginning, which their initial UX researchers were like, no, we can't, but this is bad user experience. Where, where it forced you to say, here's what you need. And, and even to the point of clicking that, yes, I have all of this information together. Mm-hmm. So that now when I begin the form and this, right, you get in, yeah. you're halfway into a form and all of a sudden you're like, huh, what? What, blood you, type? You, what? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, right. you, you want to shoot. And looking at that said, where do, you know, by introducing friction, yeah, they sped up the process, right? Right. Here's another way to manage friction, right? You go to a train station, your train's running late. Did you know that if your train runs, say, four minutes late, but you don't know how late your train is running, your negative feeling is like, you know, through the roof. If the train, if there's a sign that says 10 minutes to the next train, till the train arrives, 
because it's 10 minutes late, but you know that it's 10 minutes and you're seeing it count down. See the destination. You're nowhere near as frustrated. You, you actually, like on satisfaction surveys, they actually report satisfaction. Because you know yep. what? Yeah, trains are late sometimes. Not right. four minutes feels like 50 minutes yep. if I don't know how much it is. So there's another place where, so what they found was, like they were, this was actually, I believe it was the London Mass Transit, uh-huh. was they were trying to figure out how do we get more trains to run? That's a really expensive thing. They actually found that the solution was they didn't need more trains. They didn't even, I think, need as many trains as they had running. Just they the just needed to put a sign up that said, yeah. how long until the next? Do I have time to get a cup of coffee? Do I have time to go to the bathroom? Yeah. What? Right. Yeah, because um, that's all angst and stuff. And so that's an all that those are all aspects of how you look at friction. Uh-huh. And so like in the rev up to, to say, where does it apply? I, I think- there are times in, how are you looking at your website? There are places to introduce friction uh-huh. where you want someone to slow down. The, right. the challenge is, and what I would say is friction is always a cost, right? But if there's value there that justifies the cost, people will pay that cost. But a lot of great value is missed because we're so focused on quote unquote, eliminating friction that we never sure. make it. Like I, I was just talking to, HubSpot, as a matter of fact, they're talking about on their comments, do we want to truncate comments on the comments that you can see like within a record? And I actually said, see, I said that because I'm like, when they're like, why? Because, and I, and I said, because it makes it easy for miscommunication. Yeah. I won't even see it. And, and so what I told them, I said, look, if you're going to do that, and I get the idea of saving real estate, but if you're going to do that, then make sure that you make that like more comments like the most obvious thing on the list so that it can't be like add friction there so that I can't miss it. Push me into it. But if you take a look, so there's another place again, where I think in a UX experience or anywhere else that that we're saying, okay, where do I want people to speed up? Where do I want them to slow down? And I think if you look at friction in in that means, it, it, it changes the whole nature. And I think where does that apply to the RevOps process? I think that's what strategic RevOps is all about. Yep. is looking at it because we're not we're not trying to manage process what we're trying to do is influence behavior that's why we have process it's what action am i taking and, and to not utilize the inhibiting playbook uh-huh. is frankly it's just foolish jess you're doing awesome this episode is already better than the last ones so right. thanks for that just because i'm worried that i'm going to be asked a question because i didn't <laughs> so i have so i it's funny you brought up the clock and making it making people feel better because they could see like the end. I was explaining it yesterday to a client that part of the understanding is people be able to see the big picture, but then also understand like the segments of that picture. And so how I explained it was you're you have to communicate with someone and you're you're halfway up a mountain and people are starting to get tired. You've got to talk about how beautiful it is at the peak of that mountain. And, but you also have to let them know that they're halfway and that it's as much work to go back as it would be to go forward. So they understand where they're at. And I'm using this as a metaphor, but this is where we've come. This is where we're going. And this is how beautiful success is, whatever that success is. And what's crazy about it is they start thinking about that as the big picture. And then I go, but when you get to the peak, you get to see the next peak. 
and you get to talk about the fact that you already just scaled one mountain, you get to go to the next. And that's a really great metaphor for kind of talking through what I think like the big picture of the strategic RevOps, as Doug just called it, is realizing that there's going to be individuals that are climbing their own individual mountains. But in the big picture, they've got to, under, they've got to see like where this person's been. And then we got to keep track of that visualization all the way through. So yes, for you know, sure. that, 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 that's a great metaphor because lots of people like to climb mountains. Lots of people like to hike. Sure. You can't climb a mountain without friction. <laughs> there you go. So if all friction were bad, people wouldn't climb mountains. We would right. only go down mountains. We would only go down mountains. Now, now it, you know, it's interesting because if a child gets lost in the woods on a mountain, you search at the bottom of the mountain. You don't search at the top. And, and the reason that you search at the bottom of the mountain, what? Interesting. I never, I'm living in Florida, so we don't have that problem very often. <laughs> you don't have mountain? You really? The reason is that you follow the path of least resistance. Yeah. So when we're lost, we're not seeking adventure. We're seeking safety. We follow the path of least resistance and it's less resistant to go down than to go up. So yeah, you have, so all friction is not bad because we, we climb mountains, Mm -hmm. but you're exactly right. Knowing where we are in relation to that mountain, I'm going to say, I'm going to go crazy. And I'm going to say that most value finds itself in friction because by the time, if it becomes friction free, it's actually the, actually I'm comfortable saying this. If you follow the commoditization curve, uh-huh. by the time you automate something, it's automatable. Sure. So there's, so it's clearly at least to some degree copyable, et cetera. It's the variances that actually create the human experience, which I think is where the value is. Mm-hmm. And, and the question is, how do we, I think the question we should be asking is how do we manage friction not how do we eliminate friction? How do we make it purposeful? And by the way, I would say the same thing is true on the promotional elements as well. The force elements, like just blindly applying force. Look, I get it. I am a hammer duct tape person. That's what's in my toolkit. I don't understand why you need anything other than a hammer or duct tape, right? Yeah. But, but I think we would agree, you probably don't want me working on your house. <laughs> Unless Certainly you, you don't like want so. me building your house. And I think part of the problem too, is that we're creating this false promise and this false expectation to customers because we keep talking about friction as just being bad. So they expect this frictionless. I'm not going to have to think I'm not going to have to do anything. And it's like, whoa, wait a second here, buddy. This is your journey here. So what I'm hearing is that it's just as important to manage the expectations around friction as well as managing the friction. Yeah. I think where friction is, the reason that friction is frustrating to people is because it happens when it's not expected to happen. True. We know this from a customer success journey, right? You're teaching somebody new. The key is if, if all you do is promise them Skittles and rainbows, we, but imagine we used to call it frustration forest. You're going to have to go through frustration forest. Mm-hmm. The problem is that when they didn't expect frustration forest was coming, then, then it really sucks. But when we say to you, okay, look, just want you to know, we're like 30 days away from walking into, we're going to be in the first steps of frustration for us. I always think of, if you've seen Princess Bride, Dread Private Robert is in the, uh, is in Fire Swamp. And he wanted to get into the Fire Swamp because he knew where everything was and how it worked. And he rolled this and did that. And to him, that was home. So yeah, there was a lot of friction that was there, but that was what gave him his advantage. Or if you think about Briar Rabbit, if you're really old, Briar Rabbit wanted to go to the Briar Patch because that was home. So, right. so I think the thing that we call friction is unexpected friction. Right. 
So I have some other examples of negative friction. I've got lots of examples of negative. Unless you have another question, Jess. No, I'm good. All right. Tech. And I know that we've riffed on this a little bit, but bringing back to tech, there's unnecessary friction in a lot of cases when we are adding tech and there's overlap and there's different user experiences and there's different things that people are dealing with in, internal in an organization that can have adverse effects or negative friction to the customer experience. Could also have adverse effects to the customer side, or sorry, the company side in regards to op the operationalized element of things because data is in different places and stuff like that. And that's usually stuff that is harder to see um, because it's somewhat expected right now. But if the absence of it is where suddenly you go, wow, that was nice. I didn't have to worry about those things. And that's where I think negative friction can start to sneak up on people is that transactional ad of each one of these apps in each of these different segments throughout the entire journey can be really, can be really damning from a negative friction standpoint, if it's not considered. Yeah, I actually think that tech, and I, I think we're saying the same thing. I think that mm. tech has more quickly, more of an adverse effect on the employee experience. Yeah. And, and, and the reason for the negativity on the customer experience is, there, I guess there's two forms depending upon the type of your business. I'm seeing with increased frequency, the use of technology to mm -hmm. shift high friction internal processes onto the customer to make me manage that entire process. And I'm a big fan. Yeah. So like I had to deal with, with Zoom on a help thing and, and they ended up being extraordinarily helpful, by the way. Like once I got to a person, they were great. They took care of everything, but I had to navigate, find my way. First, I filled out the wrong form because oh, nope, that wasn't for this. And I went through all this. Then I had to give all, and I was like, wait a second here. Like you have my account. Right. <laughs> I logged in. What's your account number? They didn't actually ask that, but I've seen ones that do. And I'm like, wait a second. I was on XM satellite. So what's your radio number? I'm like, you have to bloody account. What do you mean? I have to like, right. go look it up. <clears throat> but that's, so from a UI standpoint, we expect more as consumers than we ever have before. The whole Netflix thing that we, that we talk about or the Amazon feeling, like they don't have to ask you what your address is. They already know you told them 14 times to, to now bringing in. But I think that, I don't think companies see that until they start again, seeing the peak of the mountain. Like we had, I had six people on this call yesterday and we were talking about how the, you didn't need to have Salesforce and Drift and Outreach and, and Zendesk. And there was one other just to say how much, how much things should be like how many customers onboarded this week or how many people reached out. For you don't need 10 applications to tell you that Remington. Right. I know. Well, this, <laughs> and this is the beauty. So regardless of how much money all of that costs in a monthly. Yeah. They go, so wait, you're telling me that you can have a list in HubSpot and that list in HubSpot can automatically show me this. I'm going meta here, but this is like a really important example. They have like hundreds of dollars worth of uh, MRR per month, monthly recurring revenue. And they the support team interrupts the conversation and goes, so you're telling me that I can have a list that says, this is how many active customers we have right now. And I don't have to pull that report manually every single week. And I was like, yeah, automatically. What kind of workflows are necessary for that list? I was like, a list. And they literally all leaned back in their chair. 
And they're like, that's 12 hours a month of management time across our business segments, just in payroll. That's like the friction tax that Doug talks about just on tech, because how much payroll is that per week, per month, per year? And we're saying, oh, we don't have budget for that or, but it's a savings and an enhancement to where people can actually focus on what matters. So, so yeah, so that's so, my so I, I, I think that getting into the, the role that this plays with RevOps, mm-hmm. I think the danger is when you start using tech, it's really easy to get a tech centric view Sure. of the process. The reason that, that, that tech ends up creating friction, and I do think that in, in far too many cases, it ends up creating more friction than it eliminates. You apply tech as a solution, and it's important to note, tech is not a solution. It is an enabler of a solution. Right. We use technology like we use Advil. Oh, wait, we have a customer service issue. Let's use tech. Oh, wait, we've got a, this is breaking here. Okay, let's use tech. Oh, wait, we're not getting enough emails out. Okay, let's automate that. Let's use tech. And before you know it, you have truly this Frankenstein system and solving the Frankenstein system. Isn't something that's just like going to an all in one platform or, or anything like that. It, I I think that there's two, I think that there's two things like a, the business process has to drive the tech. And it's interesting when you're a one person company, you don't need to have a lot of processes. Sure. And I'll tell you what, and Jess, I know you're going to do, you do have process. You do not, you you have process, but you don't need to have documented and what? I love that you use the Canadian term processes, not processes. So that's fantastic. Thanks. Processes. So you do have processes. You just don't need to replicate those processes amongst others. You don't need, I'm sorry. You don't need to document your, you don't need to document, document your processes. Okay. Yes. And, and Jess, I know you're going disagree, to disagree with me on this. If you're a one person company, you do not need an employee procedures manual. You don't need an employee policy manual. You 100% do. If you're one person. Yeah. Because you're going to be two. You know, what, you're if you're two people, you know what, what, if you're two people, I'm sorry, you don't need it. You don't need it. You don't need it. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to tell you, you don't need it. Okay. Now, Your second employee would thank you though, <laughs> if you did. Yeah, I've got my back, back on this yet. one. <laughs> the point being that, I don't even remember what the point is. Um, <laughs> I won. I won. Throw down, um, complete. The point is when you're one person, you understand all the pieces sure. that are going on. You understand all of those things. So and you're aware so, of them. For sure. As you add more people, by definition, you're beginning to break, you're beginning to break things up. And so now too, too often we talk about the sum, the sum is, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Yep. Far too often, the sum of its parts is far greater than the whole, right? Because this pursuit of efficiency, we lose fidelity. Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing is, as you add tech, if I, the first piece of technology that I use, it is absolutely positively an accelerant. It's a, it's an enabler and, and it's a friction reducer. The second piece of tech, it probably still is. But as you start adding that third, fourth, fifth, sixth piece, and it's interesting because we use so much technology today that we don't even realize that we're using tech. Like, oh no, we're not using any technology on that process. Okay. Well, well, how do you communicate to the customer? I send an email. Okay. You're using technology, but we don't right. like, we don't. How many people say Outlook is in my tech stack? Us MarTech people, we do because we thought, hey, the more logos that I can put in my graphic, then I'll look like I really have a lot of expertise. We think, you know, when I use iStock Photo, is that technology? Is that not technology? So we start using all these different pieces of technology. It becomes more important to document your process. 
mm-hmm. to document the business processes. So what I would say is that the the worst form of friction is the friction that you're not aware of. And, yep. and you mentioned that we don't always see the friction. This is why I think RevOps needs to be a separate and distinct function. This is why, mm-hmm. why I think why I am on a mission for this idea of strategic RevOps. Somebody, a group of people, like their job needs to be um, identifying all, but not even, yes, big picture, but I'm actually talking little picture of where are all the pieces of friction? And you know what? It's totally okay to say there's friction here. We're not going to do anything about it right now. But by the way, don't do something that creates more, like don't create 10 units of friction to reduce two. So I have a great, I have a great example here. Everyone wants to automate everything right now. We talk to people all day long. They're like, Hey, can we automate that? I'm like, you're sending one email. Yeah. But I'd really love to automate that. I go, what's, what should that message be? Give me an example of 10 customers that you've sent that message to. Oh, it's different almost every time. Okay. But it could be the same. Yeah. But why is it different every time? That's healthy friction, right? You're making it more specific to the, to the person who's receiving the email, ultimately more effective, hopefully. But then when we think about automating, we have an issue because a lot of times people go straight to automation without knowing the actual effect or the net effect of it, which can be really damning. But at some point you should have enough data to be able to say, hedge your bets, that automation was actually a good move. But it's not usually if you have one email or like that first step, you need to so do there, the there, there, There's this great piece that says, the funny thing about marketing automation is it doesn't automate your marketing. No, I didn't. I didn't. Oh, okay. I actually don't really agree. When you read the actual piece, I don't agree with it. Marketing automation actually is, a, the truth is marketing automation is email automation. It just, but that's a story for another day. You actually gave me a, I think in a previous episode, I talked about what we call the inverse friction principle, mm-hmm. which is if you want to make it, if you want to make an experience effortless, there's a, there's an inverse relationship to the complexity of what went into making that. Ex- yes. So here's a general rule for managing friction. How do you move friction earlier into the process? The reason that people want to automate is because they don't want to think. And, and by the way, the danger is when we automate to address a symptom. So here's the thing. So I want to automate this email. Do you send the same email every time? No, I don't send the same email, email anytime. Okay. So here's something we could do to move the friction earlier. It's not automation. Sure. We could say, what variations of this message do you send? And right. we find out that there's five variations. Type right. one, type two, type three, type four, and the exception. Mm-hmm. I would say, especially when you're doing what I call semi-automation, you always want to have an other category. You always sure. want to account for other. And so then we go, you might trace it back one step. You might trace it back five steps. But in essence, what we do is we do the thinking. So the problem is I, need to, I now need to send an email to Jess. So now I have to go through all this thinking. Who is Jess to this? If I kind of, years ago, I called it bin management. So as Jess is going through that thinking gets done, now the time comes for me, this email needs to be sent to Jess. A, it's possible that you could automate it at that point because you've built a decision tree. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, what I could do is now I need, now I know I need to send this type of email to Jess. And so the workload isn't heavy because the problem is, and the reason that I want to automate that is 
I have to do all of the thinking all over again every time. Yep. They t they address the symptom. They think the problem is the email. Mm -hmm. The problem is the thinking. So if you really look at that, the friction isn't sending the email. The friction right. is the figuring out what email to send. And you can, in essence, automate that with a non-technology solution. Mm -hmm. And the perceived right. value of that email. Like well, you came back and correct. said, okay, so you send a hundred emails and, and where this fits, that email's worth $7. Would you, if I told you, can you send this email for seven bucks right now? You'd say yes. That's strictly a, an emotional and like a psychological side for people to understand. It's similar to your, your clock on the train. That, that's actually a really interesting point around the problem of technology. So I believe that email would be less of a problem if you had to pay every time you send an email, like you paid right. when you sent a letter. I actually so, would so love what, that so that I so, didn't so get what, as many crap emails. What you, so it's like what you have, the problem is email is such a low friction tactic that you don't want to spend the friction. If you had to spend a dollar every time you sent it, I promise you, you would think before you sent it. 100%. Yes. And, and, and here again, that friction that people want to address, it's the surprise friction. And, and right. that's where you've got to take a look and you've got to say, and that's what I think RevOps is all about, because I know we're running out of time, yep. is where are these points? Who's paying attention to who's thinking it? Yeah, there's big picture. That's one piece of it. But there's also solving for the whole. And there's the realization that the we tend to think zero and one, yes or no, do this or do that. So we live right. in this zero one world. But what we don't understand is the universe exists between zero and one. <laughs> Everything exists between zero and one. That's what trade-offs are all about, is understanding that we live in a complex adaptive system. And so when we address friction in one place, it, it's going to change the system that we're in and the system's going to adapt. We need to be prepared for that. I thought this was great. Is there anything just that you think that he needs to say or not say? No, I think Doug was anticipating questions <laughs> towards the second half. I, I was actually going to ask you guys to wrap it up and tie a bow on it, but yeah. Doug did there. So I, I think this is great as well. Yeah, no, this is going to really be fun. Interesting. I'm, I'm excited Jess is on board. I think that we can do is say that we should probably further explore this, but maybe dig into a little bit more of the data side next week. Yeah, sure. I'm glad everyone could join us. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. Thanks, guys. Un Until next time. Dun -dun. Wait. There we go. Oh, my gosh. Nope. <laughs> <laughs>